0: You're listening to Searching for Grog. This is Adam Passion, and I'm joined by
1: Brandon Passion
2: and Evan
0: Passion. And last time we we spoke, I think we left it kind of on a weird, not really a cliffhanger, but we had this suspicion that perhaps the voice of Colossus had been recorded in-house at Konami by somebody in the mailroom or something like that. Do you guys remember this is where we were?
2: Yeah, we talked to uh, to Kyle Hebert and um, he confirmed that there was one voice actor that did all the male voices at least. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: He didn't know where they came from, so we can't necessarily say it was from in-house at Konami, um, Konami, but putting that with all the other information you've gained. Yeah, it seems like one in-house person may have done all the voices. Wow.
0: Well, yes, but also... Kyle mentioned that there was a representative from Marvel at the recording studio. So that actually sort of was one of the things that kind of broke down this theory that it was a Konami uh, employee. And I'm going to get into some of the other parts about that. So, you know, where we were last time is somebody at Konami had told us that it was a very likely chance that they recorded it in-house. And if it was in English, it would have been recorded at Konami of America. So I reached out and I found somebody who was actually at Konami of America in the 90s, and not only were they just working there, but they were actually in charge of uh, localization and voiceover direction. So it's the perfect person. This person was not actually involved at all with X-Men. They joined a little bit after that game came out, and I'm being kind of catty here about the name because this person actually requested to remain anonymous. Um, And the reason being that everything that I'm about to tell you is mostly speculation because they weren't involved at all on the project, as I said. And also at that time, Konami was so divided. Like if you were in console, you were in console. If you were in arcade, that's all you did. And all the different sectors of the company were, were totally independent of each other. So there's no way to verify all of this stuff. All I have is what he or she told me Based on their own experience, so that's just kind of my caveat going forward here.
1: Interesting. Okay. Have a. Are you going to have a code name moving forward right now for that this person?
0: Yes, I'm going to call this person. Um, I'm going to call this person.
2: <laughs> he's for those of you, uh, for those of you at home. He's looking around the room to look at objects. So prepare for Agent Clockwall. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, let's call it Agent Clockwall. <laughs> so, before, before I even talk to Agent Clockwall, I, um, I had some kind of thinking on my own. So let's remember, first of all, that this game came out in a succession of games, right? It was kind of bookended with like Simpsons and TMNT and other kind of licensed properties at the time. And if you look at those games... Simpsons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in particular, they also don't have any voices credited at the end of the credit, at the end of the game. And I think you guys will probably remember, Evan, you know, when we when we went and played this game together, it actually uses the original voices from the TV show. It's or a very, very like the spitting image of those voices.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it. Um, Right. I can imagine them being replicated, but it definitely seems like the originals.
0: Right. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if it was actually Nancy Cartwright and all those people, but um, the fact is they definitely used a voice actor. There's no way somebody at Konami was making these voices, you know, spot on impressions of Homer and Marge and maggie or well, maggie maggie they could probably do yeah but,
2: um. <laughs> exactly well it does and when <laughs> and i remember when kyle said that saying one person he had he had thought one person did all the voices that made it to mm-hmm. me must much less likely it was a random you know mailroom guy like we talked about um, and it had to be right. a voice actor to to have that kind of range i mean it's not like you know we're not talking about Citizen Kane here, but you have to have some range and you have to have some voice acting ability to do that many different voices and differentiate in that
0: way. Exactly, yeah. So so I was fairly certain that this person is a voice actor, if nothing else. And I asked Agent Clockwall if they had uh, any... Voice actors actually permanently on staff, I was fairly sure that that would not be likely, but yeah they don 't obviously have anybody like that at at any game company as far as we can tell um, so then I thought, okay, well, maybe they went out and looked for somebody and hired somebody at Konami of America and just pay, you know brought in the voices that way, but that seems unlikely as well for a very particular region, a uh, very particular reason. I realized that we're looking at the wrong credits. We're looking at the closing credits of the game, and we actually ought to be looking at the opening credits. So when you look at the title screen, it tells you who the the licensors are for every game. So when you start the Simpsons game, it says, licensed by Fox. And when you start the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, it says, licensed by Mirage Studios. And it even tells you if there's like a, a licensing company Is below that. So where we really should have been looking is Marvel Entertainment Group, because those are the licensors who actually held all of the property, you know, all the licenses for the X-Men, their voices and their, you know, distinctive likenesses. And that's the thing that I think uh, Agent Clockwall was really adamant about is that the licensor would never have allowed them to record in-house, you know? Like if they were like, oh, here's this hot property and you guys just paid $10,000 for the license to make video games. But we want to save a little bit of money by recording this in-house. That's like an absurd premise huh. <laughs> already. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that makes yeah it sense. makes sense when you think about it that way.
0: Yeah. And the licensor would never be like, okay, I guess if that works for you guys, you know, <laughs> they're like, no. Yeah. So. And X-Men was, you know, huge property at the time, so there's no way that it, that, that went that way. So that's that's why I would say it's, it's almost impossible. And the other thing is, assuming that the licensor said it's okay, the fans would never tolerate that if the voice was different. So, you know, we are talking about the X-Men where there wasn't really a recorded voice for any of these characters yet, you know, other than the failed pilot, but... Um, the fans definitely would not tolerate if it was a amateur voice, for sure.
2: That's true. And it makes sense when you compare it back to Simpsons in particular, but um, but even Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant, Mutant, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, that the, you can't just do a different voice. You can't just do something random for those. You, you probably could a little bit for X-Men because it was before the animated series that we all know. And associate Mm -hmm. but um, but you can't just may have someone make up Homer uh, randomly so um, it does make sense that the um, that the kind of owners of the property would want to be protecting that a little bit
0: right right so it turns out that's kind of the way things were normally done back then and even now is the licensor would hand over a whole set of assets to the developer and say, here's what we want the characters to look like. Here are the character sheets and style guides. And here's what we want them to sound like. And they would give you recorded audio at that point. So that's probably what happened. And um, I, I think that the only question that I have in that case is, why is the English the way it is? Because if Marvel collected all the assets in the US and gave it to Konami, I don't know why Magneto would say welcome to die. Um, <laughs> that's still kind of a question. The only thing that I can think is that maybe he didn't originally say welcome to die and they cut it. Because you can definitely hear the audio being chopped up when you're fighting Magneto at the end. He's like, X, chicken, die, die, X, die, die. You know, and they kind of cut the audio back and forth. it doesn't make any sense so it could be that it was a longer line or a different line and it got cut in a weird way i don't know
2: i could see that i could see welcome to blank prepare to die and that was just too long um but still but still i can't imagine someone i feel like if you were a native english speaker you would just cut the welcome to blank Um, yeah. And not cut welcome to die, but.
0: (laughs) Although, yeah, that's now that I think about it, yeah, that is everything about that is kind of weird. Isn't it? Like what else would he have been saying? Welcome to. Welcome to place where you die.
2: Yeah. Or yeah. What's whatever the name of the Island is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what the Island's called, but
0: it could be that there's something we, maybe we can go back and watch the original animation. There could be something where he's saying, you know, that they're cutting different lines together, that 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 I couldn't really—it's all speculation. Yeah. But um, what I can say that is almost sure at this point is that it was not a Konami employee. Another thing that that uh, Agent Clockwell told me is that if a Konami, if a Konami employee had recorded that, it would cause all kinds of complications later in the life cycle of this game because. Um, a voice recording, you have performance rights and those are different than copyrights. And they're, they're kind of irrevocable in a way. They don't really, you know, as long as you're alive, you have the right to perform your original performances again. And so if they wanted to, you know, after this person's like 60 years old, they retire from the company and they want to go out and make this game again. um, They have to find that person and get them to sign these documents and stuff. So that, That's also another reason why it's very unlikely.
1: Well, in that case, though, in that case, though, Konami could. It's pretty common in the recording business to have like you. I, I did this with like any album I recorded where I would have my my session players sign releases. So that way they don't get performance rights. You know, they just they're they're saying I'm getting my money up front right now and I'm relinquishing any performance rights. So I feel like Konami could have easily just done that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And but all to, the other stuff makes it seem like Konami wouldn't have done it.
2: Yeah. And to get way off topic on that, the that kind of legal precedent, um, th- did you know that when they made Die Hard, they had to originally offer the role to Frank Sinatra because he had some kind of legal right to it when he was like 70? So before... <laughs> Before Bruce Willis got mm-hmm. that, they had to, like, legally offer that role of um, of uh, McLean to Frank Sinatra because he had played that character or was signed up to play that character in a movie, <laughs> like, decades before. So they offered that to a 70-year-old Frank Sinatra before Bruce Willis eventually played it. The detective gives full play to Sinatra's fabulous talents in what has to be one of the year's most dynamic roles.
0: They do not like living in garbage cans. If Somebody doesn't do something about those garbage cans, you're going to see that goddamn this explosion going to tear this nation right down the middle.
1: Can you imagine if he said yes? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Maybe we would have been stuck in a situation like that where some like 70-year-old dude is like, "No, I still own the rights to that roar of Colossus." Yeah. Like, it would sound kind of like the one that uh that we got from <laughs> Dan Gilvez. <Gilbertson. laughs> oh <Our> boy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, um, I did some searching. I, I went through a few different paths to try to find the, you know, where we might be able to get a hold of this, you know, licensing contract or something like that. I figured if they actually signed a contract between two big companies like Konami and and Marvel, maybe there was a filing at the SEC. Sometimes they do that, or Um, maybe there's a filing somewhere, some kind of legal document so far. I haven't found anything like that. Um, so I decided that there's a few different ways I can try to find a person who might know the first would be to contact bang zoom entertainment, which is, you know, the uh, company that recorded the vocals for the remake in 2010. I figure that if somebody was there and they were asking to re record it, they must know what was up with the old ones, you know, if they expired or whatnot. So that's one. Another option was to contact Backbone Entertainment, who was the actual company that ported that game, and uh, they might know you know, where their assets came from, if it came from Marvel or if it came from Konami, when they got the new assets to put into the game. And then the third one is to contact Marvel, which would be Disney, which is probably the hardest castle to scale, right? So um, I did some preliminary things. I reached out here and there. Um, I did actually get a hold of Mike Micah, who is the uh, CEO of... Backbone Entertainment, which is now it's, that's bankrupt. Um, I'm not bankrupt. The company closed and now I think they're digital eclipse or there's another company now. And he's actually a really, really awesome dude. Like on top of running this video game studio, he's huge in the collector scene. He has like one of the biggest collections of old hardware, like Coleco and Amiga and Atari. He was actually interviewed in that Netflix documentary, Atari Game Over. Oh, nice. Yeah, which is really cool because he's also bringing all these old games back to life. Not just preserving them, but you know, he's bringing them back to life through the video game studios that he does, and you know, porting these to newer consoles. So, um, he's also done some you know, uh, video game journalism, which is sort of, I guess what our ostensibly what our podcast is about. So I think he'd be a really good guest. And, uh, so, so he said he's going to dig through the old archives, um, of backbone entertainment mail and email and see if they can find anything there. Oh, cool. So that's kind of a cool one. Um, I did also, I got some people that I was able to contact at Bang Zoom, but they're not—you know—they are casting directors, but they're not really in charge of everything. So I'm still trying to reach out there and see if I can get a hold of somebody who might know. Um, and I've reached out, you know, to a few people who are doing licensing and and even just public relations at Disney. Um, Marvel has its own sort of branch within Disney, so they're a little bit different. But I—I I haven't really made any progress other than the fact that one of the people who I found later searched my LinkedIn account because they tell you who searched your name. So they know that I'm trying to contact them, (laughs) (laughs) but they haven't reached out to me yet. So I think that's the next step is to find out who at Marvel would know. Now, I don't know if you guys know this. When was Marvel purchased by Disney? Was that before 2010?
2: Uh, I thought I thought after that, I would have thought like 20, my guess, and I really don't have that much of an informed opinion, but my guess would have been like 2015 kind of range. I thought it was relatively recent.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But I know that the, I, I, I feel like the Avengers movie, the very first one was under the Disney umbrella, I feel like, and that was in like 2008, I think. But yeah, oh, really... Brandon's.
2: Brandon's confirming, yeah, it's, you're, you're pretty close.
0: So literally the day before 2010. It was December 31st. So this game probably would have been in discussion right around that time.
2: You're talking about the, the re-release that um, that Kyle did the voice for,
0: you're talking about, yeah. Right, right. So I, I definitely want to... Chase down that path. The only thing that I was thinking is, Bang Zoom is in this case taking the order from the client, being Marvel, and so in that case, they may might not be in a position where they can disclose their client information. Uh, whereas, well, I guess I guess the same would go for Backbone Entertainment. I really
1: don't know. Um, I can tell you that I talked to my my friend who. Um, has done work for Disney before and um, hopefully this doesn't like violate his NDA, but he, he did something with Disney and they're so hardcore about um, privacy NDAs and like they, they don't like most studios that they have to delete. You know, there's like something in the contract that said, you have to delete all the masters? Like once we have them and we approve of them um. But Disney makes sends a representative once everything's done, and they watch the guy delete the masters, so hmm. they're so like they're so over the top, so yeah, if, if Marvel just came under the umbrella of Disney when they were doing that, it would have been crazy uh yeah,
0: yeah, so it's I, I feel like it's going to be hard to get anybody who's at the Marvel side to give us any information. But somebody knows, yeah. I mean, somebody knows the fact that they are, that they re-recorded it in 2010 means that they had some issue with the old ones.
2: Yeah. It's, um, it's feeling like one of those things where there is someone who knows, but it's, it is someone, right? There's like two people. There's like Mm -hmm. the guy who did the voice and there's the guy who, you know, got that that contracted that out to say, oh, yeah, here's here's a guy who can do all the voices for me. Um, but there's not that many people that are privy to those
0: details. And they're both f- probably protected by Mickey's iron glove. So.
2: <laughs> or, I mean, or even just don't, just not on their radar. They just have done so much other stuff that that's just not even on their You know, that voice actors, you know, and his credits that that's not even doesn't register with him. You know, he's just like, oh, I I remember doing that one day, but it's not a it's not something he really even puts
1: on his resume. Didn't some of the stuff that we researched say that like there was licensing issues and that's why they had to that's why they had to do different voices? We don't have that confirmed. It's just we just know that they re-recorded it. That's all. Yeah.
2: It does make sense if it was around the time that Disney acquired Marvel that maybe they did that just as a you know cyA uh, just to just to say, okay, well in case someone else owns this, we have a different voice that's pretty close and we'll just put that out so that while the company's in trans well you know while the property's in transition, we know we're safe because we have this other guy doing the voice. Um, yeah, and then yes. once it all got settled out, that's why they went back to the original because it didn't. It turned out it didn't matter or whatever.
0: That's interesting. We Actually, it might be worth getting that representative from Backbone to come on mic and just talk about what was going on at that time when they were making the game because it'd be some interesting background to see what was going on with the company. I know that Marvel has had a really crazy, you know, company history where they were bought by this group and then sold by that group and, and you know, they changed their names all the time and you know, so it would be you know, in keeping with that where like these are owned by this group and these are owned by that group kind of thing, you know. I mean I, just look at their movies. I think Spider-Man is still owned by Sony partially and partially owned by Disney, so it's you know... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a wasp's nest. Or,
1: do you think that guy would come on?
0: It would be interesting. He's he he would definitely be a fun guest to talk to, even without this project. Just to kind of pick his brain about all kinds of stuff, because like I said, he's done a lot of really fun, cool projects. So, yeah, I'll I'll reach out and see.
2: Yeah, we might as well, because I feel like um, I feel like we're getting to that point where we just gotta. There's all these. Little tiny threads, and maybe one will produce something. But uh, if not, even if we get a good interview out of it, that'll just be fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point for our next. Yeah, our next one then is just to reach out to him and see if he'll come on uh, or somebody. You know, Um, because I feel like we're really getting close. Like we're as close as we can get. But. We're like those guys in Pirates of the Caribbean where they're like trying to reach for the keys and they're trying to get the dog to go with the bone. Yeah. Like they're just within like a, you know, but, but there's like this wall between us and there. So,
2: but we're also literally like those guys where they're, they're never going to reach it. (laughs) 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 We're going to remain perpetually an inch away because there's always another boat coming to enjoy our misery.
1: I don't know, man. Adam gets some, Adam gets some crazy interviews. I'm impressed with yeah. who you've gotten so far, Adam. I don't know. I th- I feel like we could.
0: We'll see. Yeah, We'll see.
1: Yeah, and and I think
2: that's the fun of this. You know, having listened to season one and being a part of season two, the fun of it is who you guys talk to, right? And who yeah, we it's the who, we've, who yeah. we've gotten to speak to. I mean, the fact that we spoke to Kyle and he was such a great guest and twice. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's just fun. We knew going into that conversation, he wasn't the voice we were actually looking for, but he's just a great guy to talk to. He has so much knowledge. He has so much to say about um, the industry and about podcasting. Um, that those kind of people, it's just great to hear their voices, um, whether they actually further us towards our goal um, or if it's just a side quest.
0: Right right like the dudes who own pizza barn <laughs> yeah what was that guy's name didn't didn't he have like the most fake burner name in the world it was like
2: <laughs> agent it was agent like clockwall cuz that's the that's <laughs> that's the most <laughs> fake name in the world
0: <laughs> guys i feel like people might be able to figure out who he is or she is from
1: agent <laughs> clockwall <laughs>
0: It's a little bit too close to the real name, <laughs> bro. I wonder
1: what um, I wonder what the people from BangZoom Zoom thought when they looked at your Zoom, uh, your your LinkedIn profile.
0: They're like, "Why the hell is this guy <laughs> contacting me?" I think they all probably think that. You know, I mean, so the people who have been the most receptive, those are usually the times where I just come out with how weird it is in the first place. So when I reached out to Mike, my guy said. I'm looking for the voice of Colossus. It's the weirdest mission in the world, but I think you'll have fun helping us out, that kind of thing. So, those are usually the way people are receptive. Because if it's just me doing something formal, they can easily just skip it. You know, I think we have to catch their attention at this point.
2: It seems like that's what draws people in, right? They, because they're, you know, when, they, when you work in that industry, you're passionate about something that you know is not for everybody. And so when you see someone else on a path of that same kind of way where we're passionate about finding something that probably the majority of people not only don't care about, but maybe don't even know about that particular voice in that particular game. Um, But they know what it's like to be passionate about something uh, that they know the majority of people don't really, it's not on their radar.
0: Yeah. And I think especially him, he's, he's made documentaries about really niche subjects. So He seems like an ideal guest. So, yeah, I think that's where a good logical next step would be, just to see what he knows. Nice. All right, well, next week I have some... It's not really about this quest, but I have some information about the game, which is kind of fun and and illuminating. So I will talk about that and Marvel in general. And everybody, please join us next time for... Let me just retake this. I'm going to edit this all out.
2: (laughs) Hey, it's not your—it's not your worst outro tonight. I
1: feel like it could be. I feel like it could be a thing to kind of just putter out with our outros, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the the classic searching for grog method. All right.
2: The last—the last thirty seconds, is just you like saying "God damn it!" and you hear buttons clicking.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'll I'll do a retake of that. Here we go. Well, that's it for this time, and next time, please join us. We have some really fun information about Marvel in general in the 90s and why we got so sucked into that vortex in the first place. Thank you so much for listening to Searching for Grog, and signing out. See you next week. (laughs) You've been listening to Searching for Grog, a podcast about fuzzy memories, family mysteries, and the video games that tie them all together. Special thanks for this episode go out to Agent Clockwall. Even though I can't say your name, I appreciate all your help nonetheless. And thanks to my good friend Brian Reyes, aka Kokuto Chichi, for introducing me to Agent Clockwall in the first place. Our music is by Captive Portal. This episode and everything that we do is dedicated to our Nana, Barbara Belangi, and our favorite cousin, Alyssa Gunn Maldonado.